This is Novel Marketing. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. I'm James L. Rubart. And this is the show for novelists who want to become best-selling authors. And in this episode, we are going to talk about the Super Bowl. Yay. <laughs> Thomas, you thought we could avoid it. How can you avoid talking about the biggest marketing uh, event or vehicle of the year? It's true. It's the one time of the year people watch television not to watch the actual game, because we can all agree, I think, that the game itself is super boring. <laughs> but they literally gather around to watch the new commercials. And hey, I got to tell you, the Seahawks against the Patriots, you know, a few years ago, that was not boring when it came down to the final few seconds of the game. But you do live in Austin, and Austin is like, I don't know, 18th largest market in the country, 26, something like that. Yet you have... You have no professional sports teams, right? That's right. Nothing. Not basketball, baseball, or football. Because, you know, we just, that's not our style. We'd rather go throw the frisbee with the dog or watch college sports. But, uh, yeah, no professional sports here. Okay. Well, in Seattle area, we are we are kind of passionate about the Seahawks. So no, uh, you are crazy about the Seahawks. We like are crazy foaming the at the mouth. I saw somebody when I was in Seattle last with their car painted Seahawks colors with Seahawks painted on the car, not shoe polish on the windshield or on the windows. No, painted actual Seahawks car. And they weren't even with the team. It was just some fan. who and, and like, no one thought that that was weird. That is weird. Okay, tell us about the crazy part. Tell us about the weird part. <laughs> that, that was the crazy oh, part. Oh, okay. Oh, I was ready for the punchline. And this is coming from a guy who drives a bright yellow car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. All right. But we, like you said, we have to admit it is one of the biggest TV shows in the world of the year. Uh, and if you have the money, right? If you have the money, it combat combats fragmentation of media like nothing else. I mean, it is still the way to reach a mass audience like no other. <clears throat> yes. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about how you can have your very own Super Bowl commercial for the low, low price of $5.5 million. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It is crazy, right? Because when the first, um, the first Super Bowl, I think was 67 and the cost was 42,000 for a 30 second spot and now it's five million those those dollars were exchangeable <clears throat> for silver actually worth something back then <laughs> that's a good point that's a good point <laughs> I probably yes but i guess the point of that is spending that kind of money you have to come up with a great ad and if you're advertising you right if you're advertising in your newsletter or you're advertising in a facebook ad or you're advertising in a blog post i mean everything you do really is advertising your books um, you have to have a great ad as well. And so there's some, some, a few things I think we can learn from Super Bowl ads. That's right. We are now giving you all permission to watch the Super Bowl and call it work research. So you're like, honey, I'm not watching the game. I'm doing research. <laughs> For marketing. I'm going to learn about marketing for my book. I'm going to learn principles of marketing. But actually, you will. Because if a company spends $5.5 million on an ad, you can bet your bottom dollar that they're going to make sure that every single second of that ad is maximized. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They, I mean, they, they've, when we say they spent 5 million, you guys know this, that they have also spent millions on the ad itself. So it's not a $5 million expense. It could be a $7 million expense. And in some cases, even more than that, you hire a big name Hollywood director that happens often. Um, Coming up on this Super Bowl ad, there's an Anheuser-Busch spot that hugely high production value. So yes, Thomas, you're right. You're putting a lot of money into that, a lot of research 
goes into it. So they are going to try to find an ad that's really going to work. Okay. So what would you tell the author who's like, oh, I hate sports. What does this have to do with me? What are some principles that you would recommend that we apply to our marketing from the Super Bowl commercials? I would look at personally, when you watch the Super Bowl, when you watch the ads, ask yourself, what kind of ad affects me? What kind of ad creates an emotional response in me? And for a lot of people, they're going to say, well, the humorous ad. Doritos has done a really good job of this over the last few years, not only having humorous ads, but they have involved their clients, the people who the customers, the people who are eating Doritos, right? They have this contest every year where it's a consumer produced ad and the winning ad from a consumer gets to be in the Super Bowl. So that's a great example of using humor and involving your customer in the ad. So the question is, how can we involve customers in our newsletter ads, our Facebook ads, our blog ads, et cetera, et cetera. Or finding the humor of your book. Because there's nothing particularly humorous about Doritos chips per se. Correct. Correct. They're, they're kind of a terrible chip, actually, <laughs> like from a taste <laughs> perspective. Uh, they're mostly just a bunch of salt with a, like a cardboard delivery system. <laughs> Lots of salt and a little flavoring, right? A little... Yeah. Uh, Jalapeno some chemicals flavoring. on there, some artificial coloring. Uh, but you don't think about that because right. whatever the and you watch on Sunday, um, you'll you'll be laughing. You'll it will be a scientifically geared to make you laugh, and that laughter actually makes you want to buy the product. So the way that I was describing Doritos probably sounded a little weird. That's not how you think of Doritos. You don't right. think of it as cardboard delivery salt system, but. Because the marketing worked on you and they convinced you that this terrible tasting product is magical. <laughs> yeah. And so, so you were buying the product and you're feeling good about the product because you felt good when you were laughing. Now you're feeling good using the product. Let's give a really specific example from an author. There's this author who writes thrillers called Brad Metzler. Um, and he's had a number of New York Times bestselling books. He came out with a book a number of years ago now, and it just got hammered. I mean, it just absolutely got panned by most people who read the book and most people who reviewed the book. What he did with that is he took a video camera around and he had all these people going, yeah, the book's horrible. I, I couldn't even stand reading it. And he interviewed his grandmother who said, yeah, this book was just garbage. It was horrible. Why would anybody pick this thing up, right? He used humor to turn the whole situation around. And he got thousands and thousands of hits on this video called attention to himself, called attention to the book by using humor. Although maybe in your marketing, don't make fun of the fact that the book is so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just an example. Just an idea. Okay, what are some other ideas that we can... Well, going for the heart, right? If you, Going for the heart. Look at some of the Super Bowl ads that go for the heart. A number of years ago, Ram's truck came out with this farmer spot that talked about, you know, the farmer in America really pulled on the heartstrings. One of the greatest uh, Super Bowl ads of all time, I'm going to guess it's in the top 10, is the Mean Joe Green spot where Mean Joe Green played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he had this reputation of being a guy that just hammered the opponent and took down the other team and coca-cola had this spot with him and this little boy comes up and has a coke and you see this soft side of mean joe green come out and it just became this iconic great feeling super bowl ad again back to your point they're just selling fizzy sugar water right 
but you're not right. really buying fizzy sugar water. You're feeling this artificially colored sugar water. <laughs> yes. Yes. So again, go for the heart. That definitely sells. <clears throat> That's right. And if you want to know what Coca-Cola really tastes like without all of the marketing convincing you that it tastes good, give Coca-Cola to a child for the first time, like a very, very small child that has never had any sort of carbonated sugary beverage and watch their facial expression. <laughs> that is the normal facial expression when one has Coca-Cola. Yes. <laughs> that's, but that's not what the commercial... No, that's I'm right. I'm being super cynical. I'm I'm just down on sports, I guess, uh, or at least on the Super Bowl. My team lost. It's sour grapes. But uh, it these don't have to be very expensive. Oftentimes, uh, Super Bowl commercial are very expensive, but I saw one, I think it may have been for Dodge Trucks, actually, and it was basically a bunch of photos with the voiceover on top, and it was powerful, and it was emotional, and I think it was about America or something. I don't remember the exact commercial, but it was something that you could have done, I could have done with Keynote on my on my Mac. Yep, <laughs> yep, know? yep. I, I bought, you know, 50 different stock photos, sliced them together, and recorded some, you know me talking over the stock photos and then maybe added some music and the only thing that may would make what i make you know in the commercial different is you know how much work they put into it you know if i had a dozen different versions and they tested them on different audiences but you can um, apply some of these principles in terms of communication style and what you're saying to what you post on facebook what you write on the back of your book uh etc that's a really good point, Thomas. And some of you are saying, well, I don't, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing my own voiceover. Well, that's where we would recommend someplace like Fiverr, where you can get somebody for five bucks or 10 bucks to do that voiceover for you. You pick out the photos, you do the script, you send it to them, boom, you're done. So some of these things are very, very accessible. So what doesn't work? Because uh, this is one of the fun things. There's always some commercials that bomb. I'll say GoDaddy. Everyone loves to hate on the GoDaddy commercials. There's been huge backlashes against yes. GoDaddy. Yes. Commercials are just stupid and gross and offensive. And even like their modern ones where they're trying to make up for the older ones that they did, which were so sexist, are now just sexist in the other way. <laughs> it's like, that doesn't make up for being sexist no, in one No, way. that doesn't work. The other way, that's not, that's not how any of this works. <laughs> Why can't you just have a normal commercial? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good. It's a great question. Uh, and, and it's a great question in what works. We talked about what works. Let's talk about what doesn't work. And I looked this up the other day. This is ranked as one of the greatest Super Bowl ads of all time. And it's in our vernacular. And what it is, is it was this spot where you had all these cowboys and they were herding cats. And if you talk to most people and say, are you a sports fan? Do you watch the Super Bowl? Oh, yeah, I watched the Super Bowl. Do you remember that commercial about all those cowboys herding cats? And we talk about that right in our vernacular. Oh, man, it's like herding cats. And most people will say, oh, oh, my gosh, yes. I totally remember that spot. Do you remember that spot, Thomas? I mean, no. does that I ring don't. any bells too? Very Okay. My I guess remember, is. I live in Austin. We don't watch the Super Bowl. That's here. right. <laughs> my guess is most people or a lot of our listeners are going, oh, my God. Yeah, that's right. I do remember. That was so funny. You had these cowboys very serious and they're herding these cats together. Yeah, I remember that commercial. And then you say, all right, tell me, please tell me who the spot was for. Um, right. Long pause. No idea. They have no clue who the commercial was for. It was for a data company called EDS. Well, no, nobody has any idea. Nobody two days later 
had any idea it was for them because the product, as you mentioned earlier, had nothing to do. There was no involvement of the product in the spot. And so a lot of times I see authors do this really cool thing. You know, I'm giving away a Kindle or I'm doing this or I'm doing this, but the actual ad has nothing to do with their book. It's not based on the theme of the book. There's no tie in. There's no emotional through line. And so the ad fails again, filming that spot, Hurting cats had to cost millions of dollars plus the time spent. It's ranked as one of the greatest Super Bowl commercials of all time for its entertainment value, but as far as selling product, ugh, sorry, didn't work. As opposed to my favorite Super Bowl commercial of all time, it's got this guy who pours this entire bottle of Tabasco sauce on his pizza, and he's eating the pizza. Then this mosquito flies onto him and bites him, and he just watches it suck his blood. Then this mosquito kind of flies off, and then it explodes in a fireball. (laughs) Yes, I remember that. That's a great example, Thomas, of somebody who said, hey, let's make our product part of the spot. Let's make them a star of the spot. Use humor. That was their angle, humor. Um, And it it totally did work. So that's a great example. Another example is the old spice commercial where the guy gets on the horse and your man could smell like me, right? That was an extremely uh, successful commercial old spice sales shot through the roof using humor, but also involving the product in the pitch. Another thing that's kind of brilliant about the old spice commercial is that it's targeting the people who actually buy body wash and who actually buy deodorant. So who in the house, Jim, who buys your deodorant? Darcy. Your wife. Yes. For most people, uh, you know, in most households or in many households, it's the wife who's going and buying. Like the man will never go buy uh, healthcare or like skincare products for the wife. That doesn't happen. <laughs> it's like uh, no. even the times when you go to the grocery store, you're not buying her makeup and you're not probably buying her soap. Right. But when she goes, she'll buy soap for you. And generally speaking, those kinds of products are when you see an advertisement for deodorant or for soap for guys, it's targeting the guys because it's for them, but they're not the ones buying it. And you're like, what does this have to do with me? You might be surprised that the buyers of your books and the readers of your books don't overlap. It may be wives buying your books for husbands or parents buying the books for their children. This can be really, it's a very untapped market. You're like, hey, this book has got, you know, could have appealed to teenagers and suddenly can sell to parents. Or you could have great perennial sales if your book has any sort of graduation edge. Does somebody graduate? some point during your novel and would it make a good graduation present and then suddenly you're able to sell to a a whole new market maybe somebody who would never read your book or maybe never read any book they're not a reader but they're looking for a 15 dollars present to give their cousin who's graduating or their nephew or whatever and your book is in front of them as an option and suddenly now you just picked up a a a purchaser of your book that you wouldn't have had otherwise. And that's, the, I think, the real brilliance of the Old Spice ad is that it's hello, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> it's not hello, fellas. <laughs> right, right. You could smell like me. Your man could smell like me. That's really good point, Thomas, because we tend to think and concentrate on our readers, but who is really important, and they can be the same person, but who is really important is the buyers. <clears throat> that's right. And, uh, and you can expand your buyers by thinking outside of just your readers. And especially, if, I know for those of you who are nonfiction folks that are listening, this is very common in nonfiction. Nonfiction books are a form of currency. People trade them and loan them and buy them for friends, and mm. they never get read. <laughs> the wife keeps buying the diet books for the husband. He keeps you know, putting them on the shelf and not reading them or, or what have you. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So I guess, I guess to wrap up, Thomas, we should just say when, when you guys, when you're thinking about your newsletters, you're thinking about your blog posts, you're thinking about your Facebook posts, your Twitter, everything, you're not spending $5 million on that, but you are spending your time. You're spending your creativity. You're spending your emotional time. So think through these things for every quote ad unquote that you put out. Well said. Well said. <clears throat> okay, so this, the sponsor, Th- Thomas, talk about who's sponsoring this episode. Yeah, so uh, if you listened last episode, uh, you'll know a little bit about this, but this episode is sponsored by us. We actually created our own product uh, or our own training course. So if you enjoy the Novel Marketing Podcast and you wish that you could have more of it, we created an entire five-year course that guides you from going from scratch, from nothing, all the way to becoming a best-selling author. And we are so confident about this course, we give it a money-back guarantee that if you are not happy at the end of five years, you can get your money back if you're not a best-selling author. And it's a lot of the things that we learned the hard way and or that we wish that somebody had told us. Because most people, it takes them about 10 years to become a best-selling author. And what we're talking about is basically how to skip the first five years that are often wasted, kind of learning things the hard way, making mistakes, going down blind alleys. And some of you are six years into it. Some of you are eight years into it. Some of you are three. Some of you are just starting out. But it's for the person who says, I've been at it eight years. I want to hit that best-selling list. And somebody that's been in it a year or six months that says, I want to hit that list. Really, it's, it's targeted for people who just say, I, I'm there. I am willing to put in the time. Um, in money, it's not real expensive. It'll cost you what Thomas say, a cup of coffee a year. So it's not the expense. We'll just warn you up front. The cost is going to be, are you willing to put in the work? But if you are, this is a detailed plan that will tell you exactly how to get to the bestseller list. We hope you enjoy it and you can find it at novelmarketing.com. Just click on the five-year course button right there. And that helps us keep these episodes coming to you. So uh, we do appreciate uh, those of you who have uh, gotten the course already. And if you want to hear your name and your book and your website mentioned on this podcast, pretty easy to do it. Just leave us a review on iTunes with your name and the book title. (coughs) Even a bad review, we can take that. Um, And if you like the broadcast, podcast the best way to help us out is to make sure you're subscribed you've been listening to james l rubart and thomas umstead jr on the novel marketing podcast giving you novel ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline online and everywhere in between